We're in the middle of COVID still, aren't we? We are. It's very tragic. I, I had to take my kid for a test the other day, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, oh, it was really annoying, though. It was just so annoying because he's just had, he's got a normal winter cough. It's very, very normal. And then the other like, well, part of it, he had a bit of a temperature. And then so I was like, OK, cough, temperature. I'm going to have to take a test. And then, unfortunately, because of the nature of you know, government admin. Um, it was then three days before I got the results back negative, which I knew they would be from the start. And then I had to cancel a shift at Radio Manchester. I'm stopping you now. What? We don't need this energy. Okay, okay. No, you're right. You're right. No fury in the booth. No. no. Um, but that's why we've got the door open. Yes. But to let all the fury out. <laughs> so if it sounds a bit weird, we're letting the COVID out. Yes, we are. It's, it's how to work safely in other people's homes, as exactly. according to the government website. Yes. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. What so, are you doing um, today? Today I am doing this and then I am... No, I meant on the podcast. I don't oh, think I anybody really cares what you're doing with the rest of your day, Leah. Fine, 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 fine. Um, yes, all right. Well, so we tweeted the other day to ask you who your favourite animation voice actors were of all time. Oh. And the response was great. It was epic and completely actually fulfilled all my expectations. So um, for the most part, I'll just have a look, um, people's immediate go-tos... Uh, Should I like, try and guess? Yeah, go on. Robin Williams. Yeah. <laughs> any more? Um, I can't think of any other ones I thought of. Okay, well, you're going to be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> as soon as I list them. So it's all like the iconically talented multi-voice megastars from America and Canada. So Mel Blanc, Rob Paulson, Tara Strong, Jim Cummings, Maria Bamford, John DiMaggio, Seth MacFarlane, Dee Bradley Baker and... Fairy Bliminuff. I mean, those guys are pretty talented. They're amazing. Have you got a favourite? Um, yeah, but I'm a bit of a weird geek in the sense that at the a lot of the stuff I watch is like UK British animation. Yes, of course. <laughs> because of my four year old. Um, so <laughs> I I think it's worth a shout out for somebody like Teresa Gallagher. She's got an amazing career, just plugging away doing who, loads who of stuff. Who do I know? That she does. So she's in Octonauts. She's in like all the Mister Men stuff. Oh, she's yeah. in um, Alpha Blocks, Number oh. Blocks, those classics. So educational. I know, right? Gripping. Um, but she's also done loads of stuff in the US, like The Amazing World of Gumball, and she was in Cars too. And I just think it's a really nice example of a solid career, lots of variety, film, TV, crossing the the sea. I think she's great. Yes. Well, if I I may, I'm even more cool and niche than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my favourite character voice actor of all time is a man called Buzz Hawkins. Which who? You may <laughs> have noticed is the main point of this episode. So some people will know who he is, but lots of people won't. So I am going to introduce you to him. Um, he created a radio series called The Bradshaws in the 1980s which is set in Manchester in a kind of indeterminate era, but basically the 1950s. And before we hear the interview with him, I want to play you a couple of clips of this series so you can get to know the work he's most famous for. So this is the one everyone here in the North West quotes when they talk about the Bradshaws. Go on, can I have a budgie? Ask your mother. You always say that, and then my mum says, ask your dad. And anyway, she's gone to the chippy, hasn't she? And she's been ages. And I'm starving hungry. Um, do you think she'll let have a budging regard, hey, dear Dad? Ask her yourself. She's here now. Can one of you gentlemen open the door for me, please? My hands are full up to my eyes, eh? Well, go on, lad. Open the door. Where's your manners? Hiya, ma'am. You're wet. Can I have a budgie? Will you wait till I get in through the door, please? Right, you're in, Mum. Can I have a budgie? <laughs> uh, does all of them know? All of those, all of those people are oh. Buzz Hawkins. There's amazing differentiation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. But there's still like a familial link, if you know what I mean. Like it still feels like they all belong to the same unit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, so here's one more clip that I have picked especially for you, Nick. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Superstitious. Superstitious. I like yours best, son. <laughs> Do you? It's like a tongue twister, isn't it? That word yes, love. I was just wondering, cause me and me pals was playing Don't Stand on a Nick cause you'll marry a brick and a beak will come to your wedding. And I stood on one. So, will I marry a brick? No, love. I bloody did. Pardon? I said, aren't they strange kids? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I love it. Mm. Nice wee tongue twister in there. Yes. Don't stand on a knitter, you'll marry a brick. Nick, as in like a pavement crack. Oh, nice. 
nice. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's hundreds more of these. And if you want a bit more of an insight into life in the north of England in the like recent olden days, I recommend you have a dig around in the Bradshaws website. It's lovely stuff. Lovely. Lovely but, for accent as well. Yes, exactly. That's really a Manchester nice. accent. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as well as this, as well as all of this, uh, he's also performed in other animation series over the years. Uh, he's a talented writer and musician. Uh, he lives in an old mill in the countryside with an amazing studio in it and has spent lockdown intensely writing and creating and gearing up to being able to get back out in the world. So we're going to hear the interview in just a sec. I feel like he's got the life we could all only dream of. Yeah, he a does. A mill in the country with a fab studio. He has. It's amazing. It's One a big day. place. He, he has day. like in normal times. He has like musicians and bands come and stuff oh. and record stuff there. Yeah. And after the interview, we have a panic room all about how to maintain your character voices once you've developed them. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I hope you enjoy hearing from him, by the way. I think he's the absolute OG. And any casting directors listening, listen to him. You know what to do. Like cast him in something. <laughs> well, I go back to dinosaur land. So, so my performance first began in the backyard. We only had a backyard. It was a two up, two down terraced house in a, in in a, in Beswick, which is very close to Ancoats. Now, at the time, Ancoats was very run down. Ancoats, Manchester. Um, it's now the northern quarter, so it's a bit trendy, you see. Fancy, as well, you very know. fancy. Yeah, so in the backyard there, was all we had was an outside lav, a small shed that my dad used to put his bike in to go to work on, and uh, and we used to run a curtain on a on a washing line from one corner to the next and do performances for all the kids in the street. And then after a little while, the parents started to turn up as well, so we were doing all kinds of things, including hand puppets, all this sort of thing, which meant characters. Now, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just fooling. Was everybody doing it and it was just the sort of thing that you and your mates did? Or was it something that you were spearheading and saying, right, come on, let's do this? I think it was, I think it was me because somebody, somebody had taught me how to make puppet heads using clay. So, we'd, so I'd, I'd sculpt these strange characters in puppet heads and then use uh, paper mache, papier mache, um, and make a puppet head and varnish it at the end. My dad was very good at things like that, so he'd help me varnish it. My mum was a, mach- a sewing machinist, um, so she'd make me little uniforms and little hand glove puppets for the glove puppets. So I had a, a real array of these characters. And, uh, and I used to, because you can only do two characters at any one time, I started to bring pals in. And we'd all stand behind the curtain and stand on uh, chairs behind the curtain and stick these puppets up above and, and do characters. So that's that's how it went, I think. That must have been nice to have, um, like the support. Even though even though you were just little and you were just doing like kid things, it must have been nice to have the support of your parents through that. Yeah, they were great. Well, they enjoyed it as well. To be honest, uh, my dad thought I was, as a kid, um, he wanted me to study because I have a brother and a sister, and he demanded because I didn't know this until until possibly in the last year or two of his life. Um, when he was he was away with the fairies, and he never told us much about his past uh, while we were kids. But I found out later that he'd been made to leave school at thirteen because he had uh, eight sisters and three brothers, and he had to go and start work. So he left school at thirteen and was not allowed to take any education further than that. And uh, he was a smart fella; he was quick to learn. But he then insisted that we do not waste this opportunity and we make the most of school. So. Everything for him, getting qualifications, working hard at school, learning was priority. The playing in the backyard was he'd allow it as long as I was still doing the job of of learning at school. So uh, yeah, they supported me in their own way. My mum did; she loved it. When do you think you realised that that was something that you wanted to do more seriously as as a, as a career? Well, I was at school. I wanted to, all I wanted to be was a writer. I didn't understand what being a writer was. I really didn't. Um, and our career advice at the time was minimal. If you didn't want to be um, a doctor, a teacher, or a priest, um, go and sit down and um, and good luck with your future. And that was basically the that really was it. And I, I loved English lit and language and all those kind of things, Latin and Greek and that. I was at St. Bede's College in uh, in Manchester. And um, I think 
when I went up to see my then form teacher, who was a call, he was a lovely chap called Dan Gleason, and I said to him, he said, "What do you want to be? So, what's going to happen when you leave school? This is the age of eleven or twelve, I think." I said, "I want to be a writer, sir." Right. Um, so, um, what, what, what do you want to write? Oh, I want to write anything and everything because I was scribbling stories at the time. Well, um, we'll talk about that at some future time. Uh, during the term but uh, go and sit down now so we brought the next one up and that was me that was it over and over oh. so when I got I know when I got to 16 or 17 um, I'd I wanted to stay for A-levels but the the family wasn't well off to be perfectly honest so staying on for A-levels didn't happen for me so I left with I think it was five O-levels or something like that and my dad said to me so what are you going to do now son um, well uh, I'm, I'm going to be a writer all right, um, so you better get down to the job centre then, aren't you, and sort this one out. So I said, well, <laughs> naively, I said, well, um, I've still got a six-week school holiday to have, haven't I, Dad? Which is a little bit cheeky, really. Bless him. So he said, well, if you're not, if you're not working within the next two or three weeks, you can go and live with your gran. And my mum was very upset at that. And he was serious as well. So I went down to the, uh, to the job centre and I got myself a, a job um, because... I had no idea how to be a writer. And so I got myself a job as a technical apprentice. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it was real life, real life learning. I was working with a lot of people right across the spectrum of, of all kinds of things. And they were interested in me as I was interested in them. Um, and I was writing songs at the time. I'd started doing gigs at 14 uh, with a couple of bands. But the, the actual performance came just because I love to, to mess about. It was never going to be a career choice. Never, ever. And, uh, and then... What, what I, do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I wanted to be a writer. I didn't understand that right. you could earn money from, from being a performer. I really didn't. And, 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 and my dad had made it clear, I will earn my living and I will bring my money home and give it to me mum for me keep. Did you, did you talk to your mum about it then? What, what did yeah, she, she used to... She was very quiet by mum. She was great. She was a fabulous woman, but... Um, she never never interfered really. She just wanted to be, me to be happy, as with the kids. Just wanted us to be happy, and she was lovely. And so I got on with the, my apprenticeship. He knew I was still I was still going out and doing doing the gigs with the with the bands and stuff like that. So yeah, I remember some kind of bits of a conversation uh, that happened when he said, "Well, what are you going to do, son?" I said, "Well, I, I really want to play my music, and I want to be a writer. You know that." So well, I'll tell you what. You end your, you go to the the end of your apprenticeship, and you give me your papers, and I'll put them in the bureau, and then you can bugger off, and and be a writer, and then when you fall on your backside, you can come back to me, and I'll give you your papers, and you can go to pro get a proper job, because to him, the job was the most important thing. The work is the most important thing to him, and I believe he's totally wrong there. But he was, he was, but you know, I learned a lot from him. Um, he worked hard, but he, he had to work hard and he worked hard all his life. And he never really opened up until, as I said, he had the Alzheimer's disease. And I suddenly found out about, he had to leave school. I found out that when he was in the, in the army, and I really didn't know this until he was 60, 60 or 62, I think, when he died. Um, I really had no knowledge of the fact that he used to write songs and he never told us ever he wrote songs when he was in the army and entertained his mates so how weird is that that's amazing so. yeah when did you so how old were you when you started working at piccadilly uh the radio station i was possibly let me think about this um 30 31 yeah yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I'd done a work, I'd, I'd done some studio work. By then, I was doing arrangements um, for bands. I was doing orchestrations and string parts and and stuff like that, and making making singles that they were selling on gigs, and that was great. And during that time, I worked with a couple of guys that were working already at Piccadilly Radio, which was where I got the call to come in and do the night show, and it it kicked off from there. And then pure luck, um, I realised after a few months that. Um, you could be quite anarchic there because the bosses weren't listening during the night. So we started to fool about and I started to invent characters then. Ronnie the Bin, 
Um, Ronnie the Bin. Manuel, the Spanish guitar. Yeah, Ronnie can, the Bin. Can you yes. please he take lived me in a do- shop. through... He, he lived in a shop doorway, yes. Please, can I hear all of these people? Yeah, okay. Uh, Ronnie the Bin used to live in a shop doorway and he used to... Um, he used to phone into the radio shows during the night and you could, what am I got? What am I doing sitting here? <laughs> so it was all that sort of, they'd be talking about what you can see in Piccadilly Gardens at three o'clock in the morning. Um, then there was uh, Nigel the washing line walker who was determined to be a circus act and used to rehearse his walking on a washing line by tying a, um, a washing line from the top of the stairs to the top of the front door and balancing on it down the line and um, and then you say well how did uh, Nigel how is it possible for you to walk and talk to us on the phone while you're doing your act well I've got I've got a um, a, a remote controlled telephone sellotape to my ear while I'm speaking to you and he had a bit of a lip and he, 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 he couldn't make the ethid right he, he, so there was a lot of that going on and um Manuel, Manuel. Oh, Manuel, Manuel. Yeah, well, he was uh, he was a Spanish and he used to teach a Spanish guitar. So I'd go in the in the uh, carting booth where they had decks, things like they had uh, record decks in there. They had cart machines. You won't know about cart machines, really, because you're I such do, a I do know do about you? cart machines, but that's only because in the radio stations nowadays they still call it the cart wall, the 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 touch screen that you have to tap to play like the jingles or the stings do or the really? beds or whatever it is. They call it the cart wall, and each square that you tap is called a cart, even though it's not a, ah. it's not one of those little mad cassette tapes that you used to have to slot in. Yeah, right. Yeah. So with, they had all that stuff in there, and um, I would go in there and speak to whoever was on air, and it might be Phil Wood. Phil Wood was the god of uh, presenters on Piccadilly Radio at the time. And um, he was great. He used to set it up nicely. And I'd be on the other end and I'd be Manuel. And he'd say, Manuel, so what's the lesson for today? So I'd put a record on at that point of a Spanish guitar player. <laughs> and then the record would stick. Exposed. It was just madness, yeah. And at the end of all that, the anarchy ruled. So I found that instead of doing songs, I could do stories. And I started to write monologues. Now, this lady called Marjorie, we had lots of regulars phoning in during the night. Lots of lonely people in the night. They don't go to bed, they listen to the radio. And so it's very precious radio. And um, this lady called Marjorie had phoned in. And Jane, who was then answering the phone, said, Marjorie's got a poem. So they put her on air. And she started... And the first line would never, ever leave me. It said, I collect my tears in an aspirin bottle. And they all bellowed laughter, all fell apart laughing. Thought it was very, very funny. And it wasn't when we thought about it later on. Only, only it took the length of one record for everybody to realise that this was fairly serious stuff, this. And um, anyway, the punters didn't like what we'd done because we'd all laughed. Uh, so they phoned in and said, um, you lot couldn't do it anyway. So you shouldn't be judging people. So we were then dared and challenged to come in with a poem for the following day of our own. And I, out of the five, four or five of us, was the only one that did. <laughs> so I'd written them. Yeah, so I wrote it as a monologue in Voices. And w- what I remember hearing you say in other interviews is that you sort of, you went away and you figured out the voices for the different characters over like a sort of fairly short period of time once you'd written it. Mm. But would you tell mm. me about the, the process of that, sitting in the music library, figuring it all out? All right, so it begins, I'm in the car driving home at six o'clock in the morning after that show. And I put the uh, radio on, the BBC, and it's, it's a monologue. And it's Stanley Holloway reading Albert and the Lion. Normally, I would have found some music. But when I heard that, I thought, wow, there it's it. Thank you. This will help. So I listen to this monologue and I decide when I get back... I'll sit and scribble some ideas down. The idea being that I'll tell the tale, a similar sort of story, in rhyme and metre, but instead of being uh, a narrative, I'll let the characters in the story, we'll do it all in dialogue. And then I got a little bit clever and I disguised the rhyme by switching lines within the character speech. So it might go, Alf, love, shall we take the lad to Blackpool? It's raining. Well, it might be sunny there. We'll take the flask and plastic cups. We'll go down to the other end away from fair. 
Dad, can I wind the window down and watch the smoke come from the tunnel? And on it went. I remember hearing and, it um, and really, really yeah. being struck by that, by the, by the, by the natural nature of the speech, and yet it was rhyming. Like it, it was really incredible to me. Well, I did that for, for the first forty episodes, and I, I've written seven hundred now. <laughs> forty episodes were all in rhyme and meter, and it got harder and harder to be interesting because you've only got so many rhymes you can do. And um, and then a, a good musician pal of mine said, "I don't." He was quite cynical about all this notoriety that the work was getting, and he said, "I don't understand what people see in it at all." I said, "Well, I have a theory. I think that they're, they're attached to it for a couple of reasons. One, because it's um, the the family sound related, because unknown to them, there is one person doing three voices, so the family are related, and they hear it." don't know and secondly it's in rhyme and meter and he said rhyme and meter I said yeah so I demonstrated a little bit to him he said well you can't tell I don't know why you waste your time (laughs) so so very soon afterwards I think for the next couple I dared to write without rhyme and meter and found it didn't matter nobody spotted it nobody's ever made only him made that comment and nobody's ever noticed it before or since but I find myself writing it with a beat anyway, because you do, don't you, when you're writing for speech. You write with a beat, and you write with a beat for dialogue, especially that way people stay with it and follow the follow the thread. So you heard Albert and the Lion on the drive. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. that's what triggered your thinking about um, about how to structure what you were writing. Oh, yeah. But tell me about how the voices came about. <laughs> well, I'd got... I got into the record library that night and I dug out an album of brass band music with the the only slow tracks I could find were by a a brass band called Bessies of the Barn and I stood in the library and I put it on. But what made you think that you needed slow music? Was it just because of the pace of what you'd written? Just just for the tone of it, yeah, I just needed it. Yeah, and, and the bed became critical afterwards because, again, it's another thing that... Um, when I'm when I produce these and I put them out, the bed begin the the story usually starts with the music, uh, with a header and a tail that I've always got, and then there's a bed that runs all the way through it. But you'd have to listen very carefully to hear the bed, the brass bed. But if you take it away, it utterly changes. Again, it's a very strange thing, but it does. It does for me anyway. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's so I put it on and I, and I drop the. Uh, the volume of it and I began trying the voices and I could get the low one quite well and then I went for the highest one for Billy which came out like that though he got better later but Audrey was a struggle because Audrey was blang in the middle almost in my own pitch but it had to be female so I worked with that probably 10 or 15 minutes before I went in and then I read it and everything was done um, but how did take. you? Because this is absolutely fascinating to me. The ability to switch genders is—it's all—I I don't understand how. I don't understand how. It's because I think it came from little glove puppets when I was a kid, because I became the glove puppet. You really have to for character voices, and I've done quite a lot of voice work for animations and stuff like that. You have to be the character. It's not enough. To, to pretend and, and think like the character. You have to be the character. And, and that works. And it's the same with when I'm writing the stuff for the Bradshaw stories. When I've written it, it looks all right and it reads in my mind all right, but not until I begin to voice it does the character say, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it like that. I wouldn't use that word. I'd, I'd put a break here. And so, th- yeah, the characters begin to speak to you then, but you have to be the character. I've seen you on stage a couple of times and one of the things I've really yeah. noticed is um, how your physicality changes when you shift from character to character. So Alf's got his hands in his pockets and Audrey's got her hands clasped like this or covering her tummy or, and, and Billy's always looking up. Do, do you, are you consciously doing these things or were you to start with or do they just develop? Initially, I began at, yeah, I, I found that it really helped with the voicings by, by taking on the character uh, uh, as far as action is concerned. And then as the, st- the people began telling me that it, it was funny to watch as well, so I started to work on those little things. Now, um, you asked a question that I didn't answer properly before. You said, what am I thinking physically? 
about when I'm doing the voices, what's happening to the voice box and stuff like that. And I can't now. Now that's coming to me now that when I'm saying Alf, I'm reaching now right to the bot. I can. It's almost like a bag or a box, and Alf is sitting on the bottom of the box and is way down there now. So you can use that voice for uh, for for voiceover. You you voiceover artists do it all the time anyway. And now. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we begin with a movie. Brace yourselves. <laughs> that sits at the bottom of your voice box, or mine anyway, so I can find it down there. And Billy sits quite high up, and, and he's on the verge of falsetto. So he's like that. Now, if I go a trip further... It's a bit too far, so suddenly it's squeaky and it's a bit Mickey Mouse. If I go a step down... Um, higher... Um, uh, he's got a break in the voice so there possibly is another character and it's suddenly a scale thanks for asking me that question Leah I've suddenly discovered something that's very interesting as well to me because I've found that every time I've ever done a kid's voice it's always ended up sounding like Billy (laughs) Um, and and that's because I've just gone up high (laughs) and my my, like native Manchester accent's come back out Um, but I never really realised that there was that slight tweak of just below falsetto I never thought of that before I've, I've, it's yeah, it is there. It's literally there. It's, it's yeah, it's like a rung on a ladder, and the, I can I can feel the voice changing at that point as well. So yeah, it's fascinating. I'll work with that one now Correct. and discover the other voices. You've mentioned in the past about um, feeling like people were trying to book the Bradshaws and they weren't seeing yeah. past the Bradshaws and booking you. And I know that you've also said that. Yeah, that's fine now. You don't feel like that anymore. But I know that when yeah. we've spoken to... We spoke to an impressionist called Jess Robinson and she said that she was finding it a bit frustrating because it almost felt like she was getting a bit lost in the space behind the voices yeah. and losing her own sense of identity. Is yes. that something that you feel ever or still or ever? Uh, I did. It got quite serious for a while, as you said. Um, it did. I, got, I became envious of the characters because nobody knew me from Adam. In fact, you go on Wikipedia, you can find all the news you need about Wiki- the Bradshaws, but uh, you'd have to read about the Bradshaws to find out about Buzz Hawkins. And it got me a little bit for a while, but because I'm not going to go down in flames as a one-trick pony, I'm going to do a lot, all the other stuff that I want to do. And it's so it's all going out now. But... Um, it, yeah, I still get it. I still get a little bit of that now. Still, it's just, but it results in a determination to live up to my potential. What my it may not be a great potential for anybody else, but my perceived potential is that I can do that. I can do all of those things. So, um, no, I'm not jealous of uh, my characters anymore. Um, I'm coming out from underneath them a little bit more, so I'm happy with that. Um, and I've learned a lot and from this lockdown as, as grim as it's been for a lot of people and I've, my heart goes out to them um, it's been beneficial to me in a certain way because I'm locked in and I'm working in my studio doing all the stuff that I wanted to do for years and almost not dared to do because for instance I can go and sing a, even now um, if I've done a show in years gone by and I've gone out and I've possibly said well example I did the plaza two years ago for a big charity plaza Stockport and pa- and they all want to see the Bradshaws so I'm doing the Bradshaws and stories and routines around that sort of thing and then I said would you mind if I did something else I'll do Mr Finch the Curious Tale which is the short part of the short story thing and um, and they almost they sat quiet for me and gave me permission. And then I could feel a little bit of twitch at the end of it, which saying, OK, you've done that now. Just give us some water. Give us a laugh. And it was like that. So there's a little bit of pressure there. But that's, God, who am I to complain? It's not a complaint. Far from it. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Um, how much comedy is there in your in your new characters that, that you've been developing with the short stories? Yeah, they're all, they're all, it's, they're all humorously written. I'm not sure if I could write serious now. I read serious, but I'm not sure if I could write it anymore. Well, they've all got to be a little bit sharp, possibly because I'm a mank. Yeah. And the yeah, and there's a little bit of dark humour there. How much do you think that 
informs what you do being from here? The, the, oh, an awful lot. Well, I mean, obviously the Bradshaws are like in a two up, two down in a Manchester suburb. Like that's yeah. that they, they are placed there. They're firmly placed there. Accent, references, everything is it's it's Manchester. But like your style and 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 what you bring to it beyond those sort of quite superficial things. How much do you think that's been informed by your sense of place? Um, quite a lot because Manx have. Um, some some humour isn't isn't got by people outside of Manchester, and it's the there's an irony that we use in Manchester quite a lot. Um, my dad was capable of it. Um, Alf is certainly capable of it, and I've been in trouble for it almost from people who've come to shows and said afterwards, said, "I'm not fond of that Alf, you know. Oh. He's a nasty piece of work. Um, he's sexist." Well. It possibly is, but that's the irony of it. You know, I'm just showing sexist what, how bad you look, pal. So that's why a lot of people don't get it. But that's a mank thing. It's cruel. Some of it is a cruel humour. There was a close friend of mine many years ago. I've lost him now. Um, but his his missus couldn't understand. He was a mank living away in Wales, and his missus couldn't understand that on my visits, that we'd have this head banging going on all the time and having a go at each other, sniping all the time. And she used to say, oh, it's depressing. I really don't want to hear you two fighting and arguing. But we're not. We're having a great time. <laughs> oh. if, you, if, if somebody was planning to develop a character or a set of characters that were so firmly tied to their, their, their like place of home, what advice would you give them about like getting it right and also getting it right for themselves listen a lot um don't be frightened to try something never ever not there's not there are no bad ideas there are ideas that fall by the wayside but there are no bad ideas if you've got an idea it's worth investigating so explore it and like i said before record what you're doing as often as you like and play it back with a cup of tea in your hand instead of the script and listen and be the listener instead of the deliverer. Um, more than that, it's it's about mixing with the people. If you're going to write, if you're going to be a character and do a characterization, you can't be sitting there in the same room with them and listening to. And there's also with voice work, a lot of it is to do with, and we touched on this before, a lot of voice work comes from a, a physical change as well. You've got to adopt the physiognomy of the person you are impersonating or being or, or characterising. So if they've got a bad neck, they've got a crooked neck like that, that'll change the delivery of the voice. If they've got a headache, it'll change the way they speak. So being the person and being in the state that person is in when they're speaking will give you more edge on the characterisation. a lovely interview lovely seems like a really nice man mm. you know when you're like I would like to have a pint with him yes I have like two categories of like older men there are men that I think if I didn't have my dad I'd like to have them as a dad or older men who would love to sit in a pub with and just like chat for hours and he definitely falls into like this sit in a pub and chat for hours kind of category I feel like there's a third category <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about Leah. <laughs> What? Okay, so maybe also a fourth category that aren't in any of those categories and can just stay where they are. Yeah, yeah. But okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, he talks a bit about um, how he reaches those different voices. Yeah. And I thought it was just so interesting that he doesn't know. Think about it. He doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that to me is a really nice sign that what he's done is go instinctively to connect to the character rather than put on a voice, which ultimately is the most important thing with character voicing because we don't live in like. Saturday morning Toonland anymore you know we live in this kind of you have to believe the pig is real <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know um, and what I thought was interesting do you want me to just get my geek on now get it on <laughs> get it on so um, what was 
what was really interesting was when he was talking, when he all of a sudden started to reflect on, oh, what's happening there? And he said something about being almost in falsetto, which is a term that some of you might know that sort of is from singing and refers to kind of that light sort of thing. Isn't it where like... So um, on Adam Buxton's podcast, Louis Theroux did an amazing falsetto song that had me in stitches crying. And it was Yes Sir, I Can Boogie. And he was going, I'm going to go further away from the microphone to try and do it. I don't know if I can do it. Yes Sir, I Can Boogie, Boogie Woogie, all night long. (laughs) If you guys could see the look on Leah's face. I'm gonna to have to turn that right Hilarious. down. Hilarious, but it's it's like it's it's change it changes something. It's not like it's it's not light and connected anymore. It's it's like pushed. I don't know how to describe falsetto. falsetto. I'm gonna try and explain this without going like completely neck deep into the geekiness. Do we a need a safe word. <laughs> <laughs> if you just say like vocal falls, okay, or something. Right. Oh, no, I'm gonna probably say that. Oh though. no, I'll say something um, Say um, aubergine. Aubergine, right? Of course, Fine. of course. <laughs> It was really interesting when he was talking about falsetto because mm. he talked about feeling like he was just almost in falsetto when actually, the, like technically, in terms of what's going on at vocal full level, there you're, you, there is no almost in falsetto. There's loads of mix, match, this, that and the other terminology in singing and spoken voice. But basically what he's referring to here is what's called the registers of the registration, which is the bits of the vocal folds that are vibrating and are used to make the sound. The most recent terminology calls it M0, M1, M2 and M3. M0 is like that kind of creaky quality, uh, like that. M1 is how we speak normally, most of us, and that's when the whole vocal fold is four layers, going from ligament all the way to like the skin, the, the, the sort of outer layer. And that's when all four layers are involved in the phonation and they're all vibrating. M2 is where that falsetto kind of airier, softer thing sits. And that is when just the outer two layers are vibrating. So the deeper ligament isn't actually vibrating. Can you do that one? Um, well, it's this kind of vibe, sort of like this, this sort of thing he's talking about. Now, what he's doing is doing other things with it. But I would think that's more about the tonal quality that is sort of changing. So more, maybe, maybe a little bit more about the... So Billy the, Bradshaw is M2. Uh, yeah, I think oh, so. Oh. Um, and then M3 is what's called whistle tone, which is like, you know, Mariah Carey. Yeah. That vibe. I I'm not going to demonstrate that at 10 o'clock already demonstrated yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah, I reckon that was probably more falsetto, but with energy, energetic falsetto. Right, right. But it might be whistle tone. Anyway, I'm not a singing teacher, but a lot of the CP- CPD I do is with a very uh, geeky, anatomically based singing teacher. So that's why I understand the registers a bit. But yeah, so it, so it's almost like you can't really, you're either in falsetto or you're out of falsetto. Right. But I thought it was a really lovely way for him to describe it because yeah, yeah, ultimately yeah. it doesn't really matter whether what he's saying technically is right. If that's what he feels and that helps him find the voice, then that's absolutely fine. Great. If I was teaching him... I'd need to know what that he what he was doing, yeah. you know. But if, as him, the person who finds the voices and has done them for years and years and years, it doesn't really matter. And it sort of sounds like what he's saying is exactly what you're saying anyway. Because if M two is just below the whistle tone, then that is what he's saying. It's like it's nearly at falsetto, but it's not in falsetto. But it's nearly there. Well, falsetto is M two, which oh. is where I think he's doing it. No, I mean he's in. Mm, okay, right. I see what you're saying. You're either in M one. Aubergine. Aubergine. Having a horrible time. <laughs> Oh, oh. Right, well, good. <laughs> Just wait, no, no, no. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about, like, um, about what else is going on in his voice when he's doing the different... What? Right, uh, well, I don't even know if you can answer this, but I am really struggling to figure out how Audrey's voice happens. I think it's more about resonance. So she sounds like she's got a little bit more nasal kind of spill, let's say. So maybe the soft palate's lower and the sound's coming through the nose a bit more. And there's a slightly more gravelly tone. So it might be that it's a little bit more down in M0. Although it's kind of too strong for me. What I think is amazing, it must just be a compilation of a little bit more a nasal tone and the way he's speaking uh, and every different part of everything that makes up Audrey's voice that makes her into a woman because that's the thing that I can't understand is how he's managing to shift gender it's such a huge complicated many armed beast yeah but also it's a perception from the listener's point of view because I didn't hear the first episode but we're just assuming it's a woman Mm. aren't we we're introduced to her as the mom yeah so in your head she's already a woman yeah doesn't matter what he does amazing it's amazing so I think it's a mixture of 
he's clearly very talented. Yeah. But as a listener, if someone's introduced to me in a world that feels real as a woman, I'm going to believe it's a woman. Yeah. So Great. we should possibly look into this. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Um, um, there is one more thing I wanted to say, which is that I think a lot of the time we're, as voiceovers, just looking for work, always looking for the work. Where's the work? Can we do the work? Let's do the work. Please, can I do the work? I'd like to do the work. I can do the work. I'd be good, I'd be good at doing the work. Let me do the work. I'll do the work. But Sorry, actually, <laughs> sometimes I think we need to get empowered to make the work ourselves. Yes. And so... If you have been empowered to make the work yourself by this episode, and I really, really hope that you have, let us know. Yeah, or if you've already made some work yeah. in lockdown, let us know. Yes, let us know so we can celebrate you too. What's going on here? I didn't say you'd have a party. Oh, you're by yourself. You're remote recording an entire musical? Which one? Never mind. How are you doing that? Connect? My nemesis! How could you? I don't care if everybody else is doing it. Now you traitor! Source Connect. The future of voiceover recording. Leah. Yes. Black Cat Music are offering a 15% discount on Studio Bricks booths. What? What do you mean? Right, well, Black Cat Music. Yeah, performing arts equipment shop. Been going for more than 30 years. Yes. Yeah, and they're the only UK distributor of Studio Bricks booths. <gasps> yes, yes. Studio Bricks booths. Brilliant sound isolation. Excellent internal acoustics. Super easy to install. And if you move house, you can just take them apart and pop them back together again with your sofa. Okay, well, Black Cat Music are offering 15 off to our listeners. Well, that's absolutely brilliant. How can they claim this magnificent discount? Well, they just contact Black Cat Music with the secret password. Which is? VO Social Podcasts. Black Cat <laughs> Music, VO Social Podcasts. I love it. Oh, hello. I'm Audrey Bradshaw. And I'm Billy Bradshaw. Alf? I'm busy. Oh, come on, Dad. And he's Alf Bradshaw. And you're listening to the voiceover social. Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's good. And now on the voiceover social, the panic room. Because I'm so old, for my character voices, I tend to get demons and ancient sages and wizards for things like escape rooms and, more recently, online versions of escape rooms where you're giving clues to people. But I find it really difficult with longer strips to keep in character. By the time you got down to line 127, the voice isn't the same as I started with, and so I have to check and recheck again. And So how do I stay in character? Oh, such a nice man. We took his name out because we always keep this anonymous. Yes. Um, but he did, he did give us his name. He did give us his so name. So we know who he is. We know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so this character thing is interesting. And I think it's interesting the way it was phrased there because he said, how do I stay in character? By the time I get to line whatever, the voice is different. And then ended again with, how do I stay in character? And I think that's what it comes down to here. It's about the character is not just a voice that you layer on. It's part of the character. So the first thing for me, if you're doing any kind of voice that is non-habitual and outside of what may be your playing range, which I think is what we can categorise a, a character voice as, is that um, if you're the sort of person who can just do voices, that's not enough, right? So if you find the voice by accident, you need to think about why it's ended up that way and try and layer some interesting character information onto it like who are they you know uh, who are they talking to what are they doing in this situation all that kind of stuff so put some of that like acting stuff around it in terms of given circumstances if you're the sort of person who comes at it from that character angle anyway then you've done all that hard work so it's whatever the voice you come up with is going to be a really brilliantly rounded and lovely, uh, full and interesting and authentic thing. But in order to make sure you can find that again, if you then backwards engineer and think technically about the voice, you can start to anchor it in certain things. So you can 
think about what the mouth is doing. So what are your lips doing? What's your tongue doing? Um, does your soft palate feel high or low? And the way to tell that is when your soft palate's lower, you get a bit more nasal resonance because uh. um, the soft palate's like the back door to the nose. Oh, really? Yeah. Or if the soft palate's up, then you get more oral, oral resonance. Um, does the jaw feel tight or loose? Is the jaw responsive? So is it bouncing around a lot or um, are the lips really moving and responsive? And then you can sort of give yourself markers physically to come back to so you know oh well I play that person my lips are wider my soft palate is low and my tongue is much more responsive or something and then you've got almost like a I don't want to say like a mask like a mold a shape through which to send the sound which can really help the other things you can think about are the tone so the resonance tone and that's again things like nasal oral or like in this kind of pharyngeal place just above the larynx so if you oh, let the lovely. larynx as if you talk on the edge of a like a yawn you know if you say oh, you're yawning, what time is it oh, 25 to 6 <laughs> um, that's a kind of um, sort of hooty feel and like at it's most extreme it might be that kind of hey boo boo kind of yogi bear feel yeah at its least extreme, it could just be a sort of a Joanna Lumley style. Oh, I honestly thought that was Trump. Sort of feel. Just at the beginning then, it felt like Trump. It could be Trump. There's a similarity there. I don't there? even want to give him airtime. No, fine. Back to Lumley. Um, <laughs> darling, Gurkhas. So, or uh, chest resonance isn't like a primary resonance, it's a secondary resonance. But, you know, a lot of people connect with that that feeling of being really in the chest and it being sort of darling, kind of lovely or like sort of London, sand down there sort of thing. So you can also then give it that physical shape and a, a resonance favouring <laughs> element too. And then there's other things you can think about, like we all, and sometimes it's related to accents, but we all have a like a melody, um, like, so like a highest note and a lowest note, for example. So like my accent has quite a narrow pitch range generally, but I use it quite a lot. So there's lots of dancing around in the pitch, whereas... Um, uh, RP, for example, has a sort of um, wider pitch range. So the no- the highest note is higher and the lowest note may be lower. So if that character had that accent, I could make sure that I was using as much of their melody as possible. So if I'm going, for, shall I, okay, so if I was going from, I was doing a prosh to my dad, maybe. <laughs> so if I, because I know him very well. If I just do like, uh, it doesn't sound like my dad at all, but you know. <laughs> sorry, dad. <laughs> He's like a Northern Irish man. Uh, he's got like a, sort of like a wee kind of stocky Northern Irish man. And he's very like energetic and stuff. And, you know, he's very expressive. Um, if I was doing him, I would maybe make the pitch range a wee bit kind of narrower. Um, but he still kind of dances around in there. And for me, it feels a little bit like it's sort of pharyngeal. So it's a wee t- element of that kind of ho- that kind of hooty sort of um, warmth to it. Um but then if I was doing my mum, who's from Manchester, but doesn't sound like this at all. <laughs> but I always feel like I want to do a massive kind of Manchester character when I do her, even though she doesn't sound like it anymore. I'd really be like widening my mouth, like my lips are going more, I'm using more pitch range, you know. <laughs> you look so happy. I know, right? It's being from Manchester. I know, it does, isn't it? <laughs> so, so the point is, they, like, they have to come from a real place. And once you find the voice from doing all that real work on the character, in order to find that consistency, backwards engineer, look at yourself in a mirror, close your eyes, raise your awareness of what you're doing physically with the vocal mechanism, and then you've got some pointers. But then also, do you remember we spoke to Dave Peacock in that brilliant episode like yonks ago? Yonks ago, yes, I do. He's an animation casting director. And I asked him this question because, you know, I like all this stuff. And he, (laughs) surprisingly, um, and he said... A lot of his um, actors have like a, an in phrase, yeah. you know, which can also help them. Mm. So once you find that physicality, you know what's happening, you know who the character is. If they give them a catchphrase, you know, like it would be that, can I have a budgie yeah. or whatever it was, <laughs> that could be his in phrase yeah. for that. Mm. And I suppose what <laughs> that person who sent in the uh, panic room could do is... Have you have like a big toolbox, or like a, you know, like the guess who the game? Yes. <laughs> have a, a sort of mental guess who, um, and each of your characters can have a catchphrase that demonstrates all of the most interesting and useful and tangible bits of that voice for you to get into. We've done a big admin thing, haven't we, Leah? 
we have. So we've just shift because we've gone like global yeah. with the podcast. We decided that all the cool kids have Facebook groups. Yes, and we did have a Facebook group for just the Manchester Social, which was called Vio Social North. And that's where we used to also put some stuff about the podcast. But now we've changed that. We've changed the Vio Social North Facebook page into a voiceover social podcast page. So now if you would like to join us on Facebook, we are at, uh, if you just type into Facebook search, the voiceover social podcast, and then you can join us that way. And please do. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll have done this for nothing. For nothing. <laughs> what is th- what is life if it is not on Facebook? We just feel like we want a wee community around it because yeah. people keep mentioning that they like it, and you know, it might be nice for you guys to get to know each other as well. Yeah, so that's good. That mm. happens on the Facebook. It I does. know. Yeah, and there is there is still a uh, Vo Social North Facebook group, um, but that's separate and it's for if you can make it to Manchester for an actual physical social or you've ever been to Manchester uh, and you wish you could just hang out with other people online that do or for example uh, sometimes uh, uh, jobs requiring a northern accent are posted in there so that's quite useful if you've got access to that accent in your brain Do you think we'll ever have an in-person social again Leah? I know it I'm certain (laughs) about it We're gonna do it Bring on the vaccine (laughs) Um, And you may have noticed a completely ridiculous picture photograph of oh, me yes. floating around <laughs> the internet which seemed like a good idea at the time it's a great idea <laughs> I think it's one of the most beautiful photographs of you that have ever been taken oh thanks oh that's my yeah. husband's head <laughs> yeah, the back of his head the back great? of his lovely head so I'm married why I'm married the photograph to you um, what the back of his head yeah such a fit back head oh my god I'm really into back heads <laughs> look at that back head Ooh. his face is hideous <laughs> It looks like it's melting off. Oh no, that's really sad. Jokes, babe, I love you. Yes. Uh, So the photograph is of Nick uh, doing a sort of gruesome monster pose. And uh, so if you're into mocap, yeah. And Chris is uh, sketching her because he's an artist among other things. Um, And uh, so it's to illustrate the fact that we are doing a great big collaborative effort with the Manchester Animation Festival. It's going to be another live episode. It's going to feature a panel of animation experts as well as Nick, who is bringing her voice expertise to that panel. and we're going to be talking about, like, we're just going to be trying to generate some exciting new ways of working that involve animators and voice actors um, thinking about each other when they're developing characters. And you can come along. It's being run by the Manchester Animation Festival. So if you just search Manchester Animation Festival and then you'll find our session in there. Um, alternatively, we've tweeted about it and posted in the Voice of Social podcast Facebook page. Yay. So yeah. they can just watch the panel. Oh, the panel. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's two bits because there's um, the first part is the panel and then the second part is just for animators. It's a workshop just for animators so don't buy that ticket if you're not an animator but do if you are (laughs) (laughs) so much information there's a lot it is a lot so join us on the voiceover social podcast facebook page and get yourself a uh, ticket for the manchester animation festival collaboration with the voiceover social and also if you don't get a ticket then we are going to be putting it out on the 1st of december as a podcast with extra fantastic bonus material but the panel itself will be edited down so ideally you're gonna do both do both and yeah. thank you to everybody else who's given us a lovely review recently oh yeah so nice i i check i may have mentioned that i check <laughs> she sends see. them to me in the middle of the night <laughs> I do. genuinely screenshotted reviews at midnight which she doesn't see you don't see who's dying oh no it's just another five star review back to sleep <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Yeah, I've been Leah Marks. And I've been Nick Redman. And, and we, we are, are the voiceover social. Together till the end of the 